from the time we're born and all the different messages we receive with all, you know, with our friends and our media and our parents. And even when you try not to raise your children with any kind of preconceived notions around gender, they're, they're so inundated with it in society, you just can't avoid it. Hey, everybody. Hello. Welcome to At Home with Linda and Drew Scott, a show where we chat with artists, experts, dreamers, and doers about what makes us feel most at home. Oh, you're so excited. I have lots so of energy much today. energy, and I'm got, just like... Oh. I got a great sleep. Did you get a good sleep? I don't think so. I feel like I still have a morning voice. But that's okay. You know what's going to give you energy? What? This is At Home. <laughs> Twenty-four weeks. Is this a movie trailer? There are twenty-four weeks in gone. Gone. Oh wait, that, that, that sounds, sounds so depressing. Yes, no. <laughs> twenty-four weeks of pleasure have passed. Well, that sounds weird too. That sounds weird 24 too. Twenty-four weeks Gosh. of pleasure. That sounds like Pleasure Island. <laughs> no. Well, that's what got us here. Um, uh, anyway, hi everyone. <laughs> we are past the halfway mark. It's uh, actually, I want to focus on one thing. I'm feeling a heck of a lot of kicking when I put my hand on Linda's You're belly. You're feeling the kicking? Yeah. So when I, when I, at night, when I put my hand on your belly and we feel all, whether it's, you know, they're doing Pilates or whatever. Mm. Um, is it like that most of the day for you? Mm, not most of the day. Although sometimes I, I don't think I'm paying attention to it. If you get really bloated and you're eating something that makes your stomach really active, do you think the baby's like, for the love of God, it's like an echo chamber down here. Stop <laughs> eating farty <Beans>. stuff. <laughs> uh, boop. Yeah. Every time you get a boop, they give you a no, it is, pop. It is uncomfy when I'm super bloated. I mean, it's always uncomfy when you're, when you're bloated. I you feel know. you there, sister. <laughs> Yeah, we uh, we just did another ultrasound last week, and uh, it, the detail this time they do like the 3D imaging, and then you have the regular ultrasound image. The detail was a lot greater this, this time. This baby has cheeks. It has chubby it's so cheeks. <laughs> it's, it cuddles its hands up by its face, which is adorable. Yeah, it doesn't like the cameras. The one thing we do have to be careful about every time we do the ultrasound is making sure that we don't see what the sex of the baby is. Right, because we have, so our OB is great, but, you know, I'm just thinking they see hundreds of people every week. And so, uh, well, maybe that's an exaggeration, but they see lots of people every mm-hmm. week. So I figure between our, every few weeks that we come in, I'm sure he could forget and accidentally just show us the Or we could forget sex. and yeah. just accidentally, accidentally see it. peek, yeah. But yeah. so far, we still don't know the sex of our baby. People still ask us continually what the gender of our baby is. It hasn't been that bad though, but when, yeah. Well, when they do, but I think it's, it's maybe because I don't talk to a lot of people. (laughs) True, true, true. But no, I I think it's, it's actually been a good habit thing for us getting used to the difference of the gender of the baby versus the sex of the baby. We don't know what the gender is. They'll establish their gender, but we we know the sex. We'll know. No, we don't know the sex, but we will know the sex of the baby when they're born. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> We're getting there. Well, your dad came up with a really good answer. He said, when people ask you, is it a girl or a boy? Just say yes. <laughs> yeah, it's that's right. one or the other or, you know, yeah. who knows. And also, it's not going to affect how we design the nursery. It's going to be gender neutral. So we're just going to have a fun space, vibrant. Mm-hmm. And actually, we've just started talking about it. So I think... What? The, the nursery? The nursery. It's going to be glorious. But we, we did some 
measurements for the window, the window coverings. We're doing some spatial planning. And then I think this week we'll dive into the style. Yeah. Drew is convinced that we can fit like a daybed thingy. Um, a small daybed. One day of bed. those rockers. Then how are you going to fit in it? <laughs> it has to be <laughs> exactly crib. six foot four. Um, what else? Well, I, I'm pointing out all the things that you think you would need. I do feel like the one trade off would be instead of like a daybed kind of a thing, it can be, you know, like a, a rocker that can fold out or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Still thinking through it. We'll figure it out. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. My allergies are so bad. They have been. I'm usually the phlegmy one. I have a question for you. Yeah. What goes through your mind when you feel the kicks or when you're thinking about our baby? I thought you were going to ask me about my allergies. <laughs> I think, does it hear everything we're saying? Does it feel everything I'm feeling? I don't, I don't think it does. I don't know. Um, Why wouldn't it? It's connected it, to you. I don't know. Who knows? Does anybody I mean, out there I know? know. I want to know that because, you know, they're connected through the umbilical cord. Does that mean that there are certain elements of Linda's emotions and feelings and thoughts that do does transfer it, to the baby? Does it dream? Does, does the baby dream? That would be interesting. I don't know. But what do they dream about? Because they haven't seen the world. Amniotic so, fluid. Yeah. <laughs> All their <laughs> dreams are just that. <laughs> and I also think about, gosh, how are we, I know a lot of people go through this, but like, how are we going to manage our schedule? That's, that has been the biggest thing. In reality, the biggest stressor here is my work schedule for filming. And so Linda and I were actually up last night for about two hours going day by day, dissecting it to make sure that we're giving... Dissecting our calendar. Yeah, because we want to make sure we have enough time together, time for us and the baby and time for just you and me. Yeah. I think that's the one thing. And time for ourselves, individual time. Individual time too. We have um, friends and family, you know, who have had kids have told us that that's the one thing that they just kind of, you get in the groove and it's almost like you see the future, like, you know, years down the road when you get back to regular routine. So you just go through the grind right now to get through it. You just do it. You do the pace, but we want to try not to forget about each other and actually have that time <laughs> yeah. for each other. And, and it's funny going back to today's conversation, the way we, I guess, approach our schedules is you obviously approach it in a very Drew way and I approach it in a very Linda way. Um, Fast and slow. <laughs> Yeah, and, and does that have anything to do with um, like our masculine and feminine energies? Yeah, maybe uh-huh. very, very much so. But that's why it's going to be great because our guest this week, Betty Ann Hagee, is all about gender dynamics. This is why we brought her in to settle the score. Is that the right phrase? Settle, settle the, the score, score once and for all. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like you're going to lay down the law. No, no, punish. it's... Okay, so when, when Drew and I get into arguments, a lot of the times we're like, oh, that's just like because you're a guy or that's just because you're a girl. And we, we both do it. I think a lot of us often fall into the habit of that's a guy thing, that's a girl thing. But according to Betty Ann Hagee, masculine and feminine energy is present in each and every one of us, regardless of our biology. Mm-hmm. And she teaches us how we can tap into both of those energies and practice optimizing them so that we can express ourselves freely as individuals and not just, you know, attached to male or female identities. Exactly. Finding this balance. And I I do love that Betty Ann is widely recognized as a leader in gender dynamics. I think she is such a, an incredible brain for us to pick. And she's been recognized in Harvard Business Review, Inc. Magazine, Apple News, Huffington Post. I could go on and on and on. She's an award-winning speaker and author and mentor 
and she's also a corporate director and philanthropist and has been inducted into Canada's top 100 most powerful women Hall of Fame. You need an echo on that one. Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame. Betty Ann speaks regularly on how men and women can make progress together in the modern workplace. And she helps businesses and individuals identify stereotypical attitudes about gender that create blind spots and prevent them from reaching their highest performance. This is Betty Ann Hagee. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices, like my lights, my locks. <laughs> my security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. <laughs> Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. It's so great to chat with you again. Uh, For everyone listening, we actually had Betty Ann join us, uh, our whole team. So, you know, our, our company is spread out through North America. And so Betty Ann came in and did a virtual event with everyone where she was talking to us about gender dynamic. I shouldn't try to explain what that means. Maybe we can get that straight from you. But it was really, our team kept talking after our conversation with you about how much they loved this. And it was so inspiring to, to sort of think of new ways that we can define, you know, or it's, it's not limiting ourselves to traditional definitions of masculine or feminine because we all have both within us. Right. Like, how do we get out of these binary mindsets, Mm -hmm. this either or idea that we have to be one or the other? What I say is that we're born, we're labeled pink or blue. And then with that, a whole bunch of expectations are heaped on us. And we're expected if that we are biologically male, that we should be have these characteristics or attributes that we're going to be strong and independent and self-sufficient and bottom line oriented. You know, we always think that men should take charge and women should take care. And I believe that really limits us as individuals. I'd like each and every one of us to be who we really are, as opposed to trying to fit ourselves into this gender box so that we feel like we belong in the world. Maybe because I never fit in that box. I was never a a girly girl, and I was always had a lot of the attributes of the masculine, so I always thought a lot about this. And so I just believe that each of us have a gift. We have skills and talents that are very individual to us, things that we were put on the earth to do. And as long as we're hiding those things in order to fit into a gender box, we're really robbing ourselves and the world of being who we really are. How did that manifest itself when you were a kid? Like, did you know that you didn't fit in a box? Were you told that you didn't fit in a box? Mm -hmm. How did that feel and what were you told? One of my first memories of it was I grew up in a small town hotel in Canada. 
And of course, you know, the fa- it was a family business. So we were around all the time as our parents were doing business. And so, and this was in an era when they had travelers that traveled up and down the road and maybe they'd stay in our hotel one night and visit all the businesses in the area. And then the next night they drive a couple hours down the road and stay in another hotel. And they all had favorite rooms that they wanted to stay in. So one day this man who looked familiar came to the desk and I immediately ran and got the card for him to fill out because I knew the routine. I was about five. And then I knew what his favorite room was. So I ran and got that key. And I knew that the next thing would happen is my father would take the money. So I ran and got the little great metal cash box and put it on the counter. And this guy kind of made a joke and he looked at my dad and he said, you could put that girl out into the back alley and she could fend for herself. (laughs) I wish my son had half that gumption. Hmm. My father looked really proud. And I remember having this, hmm, so it's good to be strong and independent and be able to take care of yourself in the back alley. And it's also good to be compared to a boy. Hmm. And then I kind of realized that it wasn't a compliment for his boy, his son. I remember not having the least amount of time or interest in talking with other girls about which boys might be attracted to us. And I didn't want to look at a fashion magazine, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But I love to organize a circus in the backyard. Or um, I conducted a lot of weddings amongst a lot of the neighborhood children. And I remember having... (laughs) (laughs) I remember having fashion shows where I would take my little brother and his friends and I would dress them up in my clothes And I remember how they got teased and ridiculed by older boys. Mm. And then one of the boys went home and he was punished by his father for wearing girls' clothes. So all this started to add up to me that there was something where girls were certainly not held in as high esteem as boys were. And so while I probably had that natural inclination to be more masculine in my attributes... And the fact that my father encouraged me to work in the business. And then, of course, I do believe that really we tend to tune ourselves to those people we surround ourselves mm-hmm. with and to be more like them. And so then I you know, I worked in male-dominated businesses. I, I worked in a brewery. I, <laughs> I worked in a mining company. And so when you work with a lot of men all the time, it's quite natural that you pick up their attributes in in a way in order to fit in. So I think that it just made me think a lot about gender. And then when I retired from my corporate job, I started getting invited out to speak. And I ended up speaking a lot about the differences between men and women in the workplace. And then the more I spoke about it, the more I read about it, and the more I educated myself on it, and then really came to the conclusion that these are not innate characteristics, but they are things that we adopt in order to fit in. Mm. And that gender really is a social construct. It's us trying to fit in. And that's what made me come to the conclusion that, you know, each and every one of us are far better off if we can use some of the attributes of the masculine, some of the attributes of the feminine, dependent on the situation. And that means that we can be more of who we are and we also can be better balanced. Right. With that balance, I think one thing that I I come back to, and we spoke about this a little bit before, is the idea that the label of masculine, everyone automatically knows masculine means male. 
Everyone knows feminine means female. So with the idea of what those labels are, and we all have a bit of both within us, and we can all embrace a bit of both, um, how it, it seems like almost an impossible task to get people to change that. Instead of calling it masculine, just call it driven or whatever else you would define yeah. that as. But how do you change that when you can try and explain it with a hundred words or you can just be like, okay, masculine. Oh, now I know what you're talking about. I know it's so deeply ingrained in us. It's from the time we're born and all the different messages we receive with all, you know, with our friends and our media and our parents. And even when you try not to raise your children with any kind of preconceived notions around gender, they're, they're so inundated with it in society. You just can't avoid it. Because I say it's like riding a bike, you know, you, it's like we, we tend to think that men should talk and women should listen. And that's the way it is when you're often in a meeting, that men should be the ones directing the action, take, giving the ideas and that women should be there listening and then support it and make it happen. And, you know, really, we all need to find our own voice, but we all need to listen to the voice of the collective as well. So it's kind of like riding a bike where you talk and then you listen and then you talk and then you listen. It becomes a conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do we get out of it? You know, I just think thank you for inviting me because I think it's conversations like this that cause people to have more conversations and to rethink things mm -hmm. and to maybe say, okay, I'm biologically one sex or the other, but I don't necessarily have to be one gender or the other. I always think about this with these gender reveal parties. I'm always kind of like, you're having a sex reveal party. That child is going to decide their gender later. Hmm. Mm. Oh, so wait, yeah, can, can we, um, I guess, clarify the difference between sex and gender? In a very basic, most base, I say sex is between your legs, gender is between your ears. Mm. Hmm. Oh, that's very so interesting. It's how do you think of yourself? And, you know, when I first started writing about this and speaking about it, I started thinking, well, I think I use the metaphor and Drew, I use this with your group, that it's like water coming out of a tap. You can turn on the hot, cold water if you want to have a glass of water to quench your thirst. You can turn on the hot water if you want to have a relaxing bath, then you might adjust that water by adding a little bit of cold so you don't burn yourself, but it's still water coming out of the tap. Mm -hmm. So whether you express yourself using the attributes that we typically think of as being masculine or the attributes that we typically think of as being feminine, it's still you. It's just that you're expressing yourself differently. You talk to a lot of companies about gender dynamic, but we're... I'm most interested in in all of this is at home and in our personal relationships because, I mean, our listeners know Drew and I often have debates on like, oh, you're just saying that because you're a woman or you're just saying that because you're a man, like, or like you're interpreting it this way because you're a woman. And I know that I think there is like some, some truth to that. However, when in a heated debate, when you're just attributing like a yeah. piece of information to a sex, it kind of like invalidates feelings like, in a way. Like the whole idea of, oh, that's, she's just being an emotional woman kind <laughs> of a thing. Like like that to, to try and stereotype something as being blamed just because you are feminine or a woman. It just doesn't seem, well, it's, it's not productive in any way in any sort of an argument just to have a label like that. But where is that balance of what when we're being honest chemically with how we're made up, mentally with how we're made up? 
as opposed to what we're being labeled as? There's a whole bunch of layers to this. And <laughs> I, let's sort of... It's an onion. <laughs> well, the first thing would be, you know, what we believe, we see more of. So if we believe something is true, we start finding arguments or seeing things to validate that. And so if we have been told that women are more emotional than men, we are going to look for that. And I, and then it's easier to label that. And I remember being in a situation in my office where I was having a disagreement. Um, you know, you, you sometimes have these rubs in organizations where one side has one idea about the way things should be and another side has another idea. And this fellow was in my office and he was, and he and I were having this fairly heated debate about a, an action that should be taken on a corporate um, decision. Mm -hmm. And he threw up his hands and left my office and said, I'm going to come back and talk to you when you're not so emotional. <laughs> and after he left, my secretary came into my office and said, I listened to that. I think he was being a lot more emotional than you were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, a, it's, it's kind of like what we've been trained. We've been, tra you know, we've been socialized to act mm -hmm. a certain way. And I, I mean, I'm married. I've been married for 45 years. Oh. And so I read a book once a long time ago called How to Improve Your Marriage Without Talking About It. <laughs> and it, it had something in it called emotional attunement. Mm -hmm. And basically what it said is, don't you don't have to talk about things. Just go to your heart and imagine the other person's heart and feel what they're feeling. I do try, you know, when we, when we talk to our therapist too, and she, she sort of gives us ideas of what we can do to understand from the other person's perspective, try and communicate in a way that we know that they will receive it, not how we want to say it. And, uh, but I find it very hard because in our relationship, when we talk about trying to find that balance of our masculine and feminine, you know, I don't want to change Linda. Linda and I doesn't, uh, Linda doesn't want to change me. We want to, you know, hopefully within our relationship, we ourselves just want to change for the love of our relationship. Um, if it's something that's healthy for each of us individually as well. But where, what is that balance? Because I don't, like with me, embracing my feminine side, I have no problem with that. I mean, I, I literally don't. But when I look back at how I am, I am always that more sort of driven and task oriented and I'm, I'll take charge kind of a person. But Linda, I don't see like in her own way, she, like she, she does some of those things, but in her own way, it's a completely different pace than mine. So where do we find that, that harmony? Isn't it interesting because it's, it's sometimes taking charge and getting things done right now can be toward, and sometimes it really works and it's really good because you get things done. But sometimes, and I know this personally because I tend to be one of those take charge, get things done kind of people. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband would, in that particular category, would be a lot more, let's just allow things to come to us. Mm -hmm. Like he would say, Betty Ann, you're getting things done too quickly and you're going mm -hmm. to change your mind and not want it. And you will have wasted time. And I think there's a better answer. And if we give it some time, it's going to work itself out. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's just a difference in our approaches um, we have other differences in our approaches. So in that particular case, I would be more masculine. He would be more feminine. When it comes to the head and the heart, he is definitely more of a thinker. And I am more of a let's how does this make you feel? And mm -hmm. so 
that's a place where we again have differences in the way that we approach life. Mm-hmm. So from a work standpoint, I can tell you that one of the things I used to do in my job was I would talk to reporters that called the company. And I talked to all the analysts that uh, and the investors. And there would be some that I knew were very negative on our company and wanted to report all the worst things about us. And so I knew that when they called, they were looking for me to say something wrong, to stumble, where they would have an opportunity to print something negative. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whenever my secretary would say, you know, John Chopin was on the line, instead of having that moment of resistance, constriction of the heart, stepping back, putting up a wall, because I'm not going to let you take the advantage of me, before I would pick up the phone, I would think to myself, I know you're afraid you're going to miss the best story here. And I know that you feel like you have to live up to your company's expectation that our company is a bad place to work and you want to try to prove that. And I am going to bless you and offer you my love in our conversation. Wait, you legit would say that to them? No, I would think this before oh, okay. I have <laughs> this moment of thinking it yeah. so that when I picked up the phone, I wasn't going into it with resistance. Mm-hmm. I was going into it with an open heart. Mm. And to me, that usually changed the dynamics mm. between us. And that's a simple way to do it because I didn't have the emotional attachment to that reporter that I have to my husband, which is much harder, I think. Yeah, <laughs> because we have this relationships and we want to make them work and we want people to see things our way. So I just find that this um, thinking a lot about the attributes of the heart and how another person is feeling is this emotional attunement is really valuable and that we can't mostly what we're looking for is we're looking for love, mm-hmm. but we're not going to find love unless we're able to give it. Mm-hmm. And usually when we are required to give it is when we feel like giving it the least. <laughs> That's 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I laugh sometimes because Linda and I will be in an argument or a debate, whatever you want to call it. And I'm like, okay, well, the last thing that she wants is me to give her a hug or something like that. So I'll just give space. And then afterwards, Linda will be like, the only thing I wanted was for you to give me a hug. <laughs> ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. (laughs) Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. In the context, I guess, outside of our relationship with others, when we're just looking at our relationship with ourselves, how do we bring about the masculine and feminine in order to make ourselves more whole? Well, I think the very fact that you're asking me a question is the the beginning of it, because it really comes from being open to accepting a greater expanse of ourselves. And then it comes from awareness. For example, in my book, I do have a number of exercises that people can do Mm -hmm. 
First of all, I have a little um, evaluation you can do. So you can decide whether your natural go-to energy is masculine or feminine, regardless what your biological, Mm -hmm. physical sex is. And then once you find that out, you can start noticing where using your energy actually is helpful to you and where it can get you in trouble. Because it's quite natural for each of us when we are under stress, overtired, if we're really attached to the outcome of a project, that we will take our natural go-to energy because it served us well in the past. Mm-hmm. And then we'll dial it up to the extreme because we want to really make sure this works. And we'll just you know, put the pedal to the metal on it. And that's when your natural energy, which is a strength, you do too much of it, it becomes a weakness. Right. So it's uh, my mother used to have all these little sayings and she used to always say too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And it's basically if you're directive, which can be very valuable under certain circumstances, but you get overly directive, you become domineering. Mm-hmm. If you um, are in your feminine energy and you're a good listener, but then you listen so much, you lose sight of who you are. You just fold yourself into the other person's eye. You don't ever find your voice. And mm-hmm. in order to develop our opposite, we can do things such as. If you're in feminine energy, you might find, you know, I find this with a lot of women, there's so much in their feelings that they tend to use their feelings to decide what they think about things. Mm-hmm. So they will say, I don't like that restaurant. I didn't feel good there. And then you'll say, well, tell us factually. Well, if you actually get down to the facts, I didn't, the temperature was too cold. Mm. The food was too hot. Uh, there wasn't enough variety on the menu. It was the menu was limited. Mm-hmm. The prices were too high. So, so you know, so then you say to somebody, "Okay, you use your feelings a lot. I just challenge you for a day a week. Speak only in facts. Mm-hmm. So you just learn to use more facts. So as, are, as a way, and you're saying as a way to define as a way to define your feelings because like for me I'm a very factual person Linda is I she speaks from the everything heart everything in feelings yeah in feelings <laughs> yeah. and yeah. so yeah we we constantly it, it takes me being a sleuth to try and understand what she's saying <laughs> and then it also is very annoying to Linda if sometimes I'm almost just like this is this fact this is this fact and sometimes it's not fact it's just my opinion which I state like fact <laughs> but uh, is it, that's what you mean absolutely and so for you um, if you're stating facts all the time, what you could be doing is actually watching other people's or Linda's body language and saying, you know, I'm watching you right now and I'm thinking you might be feeling this. Mm. And that gives you a chance to practice your emotional attunement. What is my partner thinking, feeling? And it also makes her feel like you care because you're mm. trying to tune into her feelings. Right. So it's kind of like if you're in your feelings a lot, how do you find some balance by trying to get out of your feelings and use some of the attributes of the mind? If you're in the mind too much, how do you get out of that? Try yeah. to use some of the attributes of the feelings. Mm-hmm. And what I find really interesting too, you know, if you think about it, a lot of what are, you know, female traits being collaborative, like you said, or uh, wanting to connect 
with people. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, that might seem weaker than what a lot of male male or masculine traits are. Or called it's, soft skills. So, yeah, or <laughs> but it's so backwards to me because, and listening is a prime example too. Listening is a feminine trait, but how much better would all businesses all countries, everybody be if we all listened a little bit more, if on the, on the male side of things, we listened a little bit more. So I think, how do we shift that perception to make people see that those aren't weaknesses or soft points? Those are actually strengths that we need. Absolutely. And you know, it's interesting because many MBA programs are recognizing now that we're in a globalized world and people are doing business with different cultures from all over the world. And that means that the traditional ways of masculine and feminine in North America may not apply in another culture. Mm. So they're starting to teach things like interpreting body language and trying to gain an understanding of where somebody else might be coming from without words, without using the mind. That's really fascinating. Yeah, you think about some certain traditions in Japan, for example, as well. Like a handshake is not something that you do the same way you would just to bow, but there's some more than than just that for how people communicate and not label. Mm-hmm. But then there's France in uh, in their language. It's so I remember growing up in Canada, we had to learn French, and uh, it was so weird to me. A house is like feminine, but a car is masculine, or whatever it might be. That doesn't make any sense <laughs> to me. But well, you know, Drew, there's a woman from Stanford who is a linguist. And knowing that there's these different languages have different um, masculine and feminine, she took a picture of a bridge, which is masculine, sorry, feminine in Germany. And she took it to people in Germany and she asked them to describe the bridge. Mm. And they said, because it's feminine in their language, they said it's elegant, it's slender. And then she took it to people in Spain and she asked them to describe it. And exactly the same picture, but in Spain, the bridge is masculine and she asked them to describe it and they said it's sturdy, it's strong, it's bold. Mm. So they were imbuing the bridge with the characteristics of being masculine or feminine based on whether the the bridge was masculine or feminine in their language. Yeah, Mm. their own biases, yeah. I mean, if it's built, if it's baked into our language, it's so easy to see how it's baked into our behaviors and our perceptions of others, you know, like you can find a male attractive if they're also sturdy and bold. Mm-hmm. But if a, a woman was to act bold, you'd be like, oh my gosh, like she's so bold. <laughs> like, you know, it could be taken very negatively. And that's mm-hmm. just so. Well, there's a lot yeah. of research around both those points. Um, one is that women who want to be considered the lead right now, we believe in Western culture that the lead, the attributes of the masculine are interchangeable with the attributes of leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that if you're a woman and you want to be considered a leader, you have to display the attributes of being strong and independent and self-sufficient and bottom line oriented in order to be considered leadership material. But mm-hmm. because we also believe that women should be strong, caring and um, consensual and good listeners, women have to be both. Mm-hmm. They have to distrib- exhibit the ac- attributes of the masculine to be considered a leader. And then they have to cloak that with the attributes of the feminine in order to be liked and accepted. And, you know, Drew, we talked about when we were with your people, we talked about um, Maggie Thatcher and how she was a very masculine energy woman mm-hmm. and how she learned to 
speak with a much lower voice mm-hmm. in order to be taken more serious, you know, almost theatrical in her voice right. in order to be taken seriously as a leader. And yet, whenever they did sort of more casual interviews with her, she insisted on having them at home while she was cooking. Mm. So that people would see her doing something domestic mm. so they would accept her as a woman. Mm. So oh. interesting. That's, Isn't it? Uh, it's such a point of contention, I think. Well, to, uh, to think that that even has to be a thing that you have to consider in order to be accepted, that's just... Yeah, and I think e- even like without the worry of outside perspective, I know I certainly battle with that myself. Yes, I want to be you know hardworking and I want to be driven and I want to be all those things, but I also want to fulfill other things. Like I like doing homework. I like cooking and I love hanging out with kids. And when we do have our own kids, like I am sure there are going to be so many debates about like, you know, our different roles as much as possible, regardless of outside influence. Mm. I remember when I had our first, when we had our first child and I was at the hospital and the nurse came in the first morning and said, I'm here to teach you how to bath the baby. And I said, I'm not learning. (laughs) And she went, what? And I was like, my husband will be here in 10 minutes and it's his job. So you can teach him. (laughs) And what'd she say? So she taught him how to, she she was like, oh, okay. So she taught him how to bath the baby. Yeah. And that was his job. And I, I just thought, you know, from everything I'd read, bathing baby is a fun job because that's often where you get the smiles and you play a little bit. And I thought then he's going to have that bonding time with Mm -hmm. that baby but it also means that we're each t- taking responsibility for that child yeah. and are going to have our times where we bond. And that's important. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he talks about it often now with great pride that he took the baby to the uh, appointments with the pediatrician. And mm-hmm. he said, you know, it was cold in Saskatchewan. He wrapped this little baby up mm-hmm. and got to the waiting room and there was all these mothers and he would put this baby down. And he said they were just looked at him askance like, oh, my gosh. What's that man doing here with that tiny little baby? You know, is that baby okay? Oh my gosh. Well, well, there's two things. Like they they can either look at him like, oh no, poor baby. Or, you know, as you see with like dads with their kids at the parks, it's like, oh my gosh, you're so great for for taking your your child, your own child to the park. Oh, you're so great for fathering your child. Like that's what you should be doing. Like why it's funny. (laughs) Linda's sister, um, you know, she she was working full time, and and uh, so our brother in law, he a lot of times would end up taking the kids to the park, and he said when he was there that other moms would be like, "Good for you," and it's just funny because it should just be, it shouldn't be like a special thing because the father spends time with the parent or with the Absolutely. kids. Absolutely, yeah. and I just read the other day that with during COVID, I mean, COVID has made a difference to a lot of the ways that we look at things, but during COVID. If the children come into the picture when people are having Zoom meetings and it's a man, everybody's like, isn't that cute? Mm. And if they come into the picture when there's a woman, people think, oh, she's not got time to focus on her job now that she's at home. Mm. So it's exactly the same thing. It's where have we really need to break out of this. Mm. Yeah. So for anybody listening to Betty Ann's book is Gender Physics, Unlock the Energy You Never Knew You Had to Get the Results You Want. It is definitely worth reading. It, it really is. And again, that's one reason too, why we wanted you to come in and speak with our whole team at, at Scott Brothers. And it was, it was really, really fascinating. Is there anything 
you know, whether it's uh, for anybody listening at work or in their relationships, are there certain steps and strategies, something simple that you can lay out as those first few steps to get yourself in a position where you can start to improve your relationships or improve your situation at work by thinking of this balance? One of the things that I noticed when I was working as a corporate executive, because I was the only woman on the senior management team for quite a long time. And I remember the guys would come into my office and, you know, they would speak with a lot of heart about their aspirations of parents and, you know, about their children. And then shortly thereafter, we'd be in the boardroom and there'd be all the guys together and they'd be all of a sudden trying to be more masculine than the guy next to them. Mm. You know, kind of suddenly they were pounding the table about how they were going to snuff out the competition. And I was like, you know, this is not the same person that I just talked to, but I realized that what they were doing was that they were positioning themselves as far away from anything feminine as possible in order to fit in to be more masculine with the people they were working with. Mm. And I really think that if there's anything that we can do to allow ourselves to be more emotionally available and to allow ourselves some weakness and to accept that, that we are going to then be able to say, we don't have to be that strong, independent person. We we are better balanced than that. And yeah. I do think that COVID helped with that. When we, you know, when we first started with COVID and there were so many people dying, we watched a lot of political leaders as well as newscasters tear up and actually choke up. Yeah. And, you know, we'd always had this idea that men weren't supposed to mm-hmm. cry. And suddenly we were at home feeling fearful and choked up. And we appreciated that our leaders were feeling and express feeling how we were and expressing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think that causes a little bit of a tick in a in the mind, in a little bit of a paradigm shift. One hundred percent. I can connect with you on that. I think that that is absolutely what we need to make this world a better place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really comes down to, I think we want to be the best version of ourselves. And the best version of ourselves comes from accepting that we have both masculine and feminine attributes in us. And we want them to emerge. We want them to work together and to be who we really are. It's so hard. I think when we're learning about a concept or anything like labels, can help, but we can't live within that the construct of that label always you. because it, it is so limiting and yeah. stifling. Yeah, you know, really, those just you, you're absolutely right. Those labels are a way to help us learn the ropes, mm-hmm. but when they become a prescription for how mm-hmm. we're supposed to live our lives, it becomes so limiting. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to. That's a great way to label what this <laughs> is. That really is, but that's the right kind of label. Well, we like to wrap up our conversations with a speed round, if you're ready. What <laughs> meal makes you feel most at home and who cooked it? You know, if you won the that big golf tournament at Pinehurst, the Masters, you got to pick the closing meal. And I always said if I got to cl- pick the closing meal, it would be Dover Sole. Dover Sole? I've never heard I of that. I don't even know what that what is. is. that? <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. If you ever get it, if you ever see it on the menu, okay. order it. It's fantastic. Oh, All right. I'll have to pick right. that up. What <laughs> smell reminds you of home? Oh, you know, I come from fresh air. So something, you know, really fresh air, probably um, I, I, night air. Mm. Oh, nice. <gasps> you know what Linda and I do every night before we go to bed is we have a little speakeasy on the front door. It's a little window. And so we open that and we just kind of close our sniff. eyes and take a deep breath. <laughs> 
to get that um, night air smell. I love that fresh night air smell. Yeah, I do too. What's your most vivid memory of home? Probably the flowers in the backyard. Mm. Mm. We stalk our uh, neighbors' flowers and gardens all the time oh, on yeah. our walks. <laughs> <laughs> what is a memorable growth moment? Probably realizing, I remember being thrust into a situation because someone else was supposed to, this was early in my career, someone else was supposed to chair an event. And at last minute, he couldn't be there and I got pushed onto stage. Mm -hmm. And I would never, if I had known that I was going to be, I would have been practicing. I would have been thinking about what I was supposed to say. But I had this moment, I had to just go on and do it. And I realized how important it is and how actually more valuable it is to speak from the heart because people really love that. So I think taking over something I didn't expect and just being myself Mm. was a big growth moment for me. And maybe the basis of this theory. Yeah, yeah. Mm. No, that's amazing. I think that's the basis of at home is, is this this is our continuous growth moment because every conversation we have gives us something to ponder and think about and someone to connect with that can help us grow. So we really thank you for being a part of that. Thank you. Thank you. And by the way, we have an amazing team and just want to say a huge thank you to all of them. We could not do this without them. Brandon Angelino. Annalie Bell. Hannah Fan, Courtney Iwanis. West Friend. Chris Cobain. Nicole Schachter. And Sabrina Ayakobuchi. Also, our theme music is by Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson. And our music composed and produced by Rick Russo. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have a few seconds, don't forget to subscribe and rate. Yes, please do. Please do. And also leave comments on our social media at At Home. We love to hear from you. Dun, 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 dun. ADT <laughs> now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT is awesome and believes that the smarter the home, the safer the security. I can't wait to see what they do next. They're going to put Google Nest doorbells on the moon. <gasps> da, da. Actually, I'd like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with our Google Nest doorbell. I do love how when we're out at dinner, we can see exactly what's going on at the front door. And we can control our ADT smart devices like... Lights, locks, the security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. Mm -hmm. All you have to say is, hey, Google, to get started. Well, I think it's great for people to help protect what matters most with all of this. Plus, 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Hey, Google.